been a big push um, over the last couple of years about the importance of emotional intelligence, your EQ, or even your relational intelligence, your RQ. But I, I really think as a leader, it's your adaptability intelligence, your AQ. Um, great leaders learn to adapt and, and change. This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. Welcome, Rebel Human Resources listeners. I'm extremely excited to have Kevin Dawson on the show today. Kevin is a brother in Sherm CP credentials, so you know we got that in common. Uh, the other thing we have in common is we are both hosts of podcasts. So Kevin hosts the Leaders and Loggers podcast. Check it out; it's a great podcast. I've listened to a few episodes, and the only regret that I have having Kevin here is the fact that we cannot drink a lager because it's like noon. So thanks, Kevin, for joining us. Well, I don't, I mean, you may not be drinking, but it's, um, I mean, I've got a glass sitting next to me just, you know, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I have um, I have my W-2 job that I do still need to execute some workload for today. So uh, uh, doing this over my lunch break. So I am probably going to pass. But hey, if you want to get full on snock or, you know, go for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it, Kyle. I really do. <laughs> so I'd love to just, just um, you know, learn a little bit more about you and about the podcast. And uh, that's not the only thing you do. You're also a leadership and a culture consultant, keynote speaker, uh, author, you have a lot of really great accomplishments. So uh, why don't we start off? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, uh, so I'm a leadership and culture consultant. So a lot of people ask me, well, what does that mean? So I go and I help uh, organizations develop better leaders, better teams, better cultures uh, to help them attract, retain, and engage their talent. Everybody's you know, trying to figure out what does that look like. And, and we're always, you know, being in HR, we're trying to help our organizations succeed. And we want to make sure we have the right people. And sometimes we promote people into positions that, that are really good at what they do, but they're not really good at, at leading people. And so um, I've taken that on as, as uh, an area that I love to focus on in building up teams that's been a part of my career for, for the last uh, 15 years is doing that same very thing, but just uh, in very different ways. Um, I started out my career as the education technology coordinator for a World War II aviation museum. And one of my most favorite jobs uh, doing that was we had a whole bunch of youth volunteers. And so we created an organization within the organization to develop um, these these high school um, students into young leaders, into the volunteer corps and different things that we did. A lot of those kids, you know, had aspirations of going into the military or pursuing um, degrees or careers in aviation. And so we would help prepare them uh, for what that looked like. And then uh, I worked for another nonprofit um, where I taught um, how to make good decisions and healthy uh, living habits for students uh, within 200 miles of my hometown out here in West Texas. And so we, we talked to 10,000 students uh, a year through various um, programs. And, and then I moved into uh, sales and marketing and safety role for an oil and gas company uh, and worked that and worked in the oil fields of West Texas for, for three years, uh, which was uh, driving a lot. Um, you know, I'm not sure if, if people are familiar with how big Texas is, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we tell distance in, it's going to take you a couple of hours. You know, how far is it to, from where I am to Dallas, it's a five hour drive or 300 miles. Um, so I would, I covered a territory about half that distance. Um, on, and I would have to drive that, uh, two or three times a week, but teaching, uh, oil gas operators, uh, service providers, how to develop safety cultures, how to develop safety leaders, and then working as a consultant, with uh, Arthur J. Gallagher for a number of years, um, helping organizations develop uh, programs to attract, retain talent, doing some leadership consulting, leadership training. And that uh, eventually led to the creation of the Leaders and Loggers podcast, which launched um, almost a year ago now. 
And uh, as an as extended conversation, I had been um, speaking at SHRM uh, events uh, across Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma and started to you know pick up where I was being invited to larger uh, industry events, uh, speaking out in Orlando or Chicago or San Francisco about leadership and culture issues or, or uh, talent management. And so a good friend of mine, uh, Bruce Waller, who is the former um, president for Dallas HR, um, he's got a blog and now has a podcast, but his, his blog, um, he would write on some of those things like, hey, you should start a blog or something. And I was like, I hate writing, so I'm not going to do that. Um, and so the idea was to launch a podcast. And so the podcast launched with the, the intention of, hey, let's have conversations uh, with leaders uh, about leadership development, organizational culture development, business issues. And we want to do it in a way that makes it feel like it's you and I sitting down at, at a bar, sharing a drink um, and just having a, just a, a regular conversation, trying to solve these issues. And each week's a different, different uh, craft beer. And uh, so I've had now 51 different beers. <laughs> Um, nice. So 51 different different episodes so far, um, and it's been a lot of fun doing that and, and getting to continue to speak this year. Uh, it's been very different because all of my presentations have been virtual, with the exception of three at the beginning of the year when you know we could still travel and do things like normally. And so it's been a lot of fun, and I've I've really enjoyed um, the last year uh, doing that uh, in the process um, of finishing up my very first book which is called crafting culture. So taking a lot of the same conversations and putting it into a fiction based book um, that will take the analogy of the brewing process as a way to uh, show here's how you craft great culture. um, But using that analogy of here's how you brew good beer. I love that. I love that analogy. Um, and I'm I'm just kicking myself because I didn't think about a way to intertwine beer into my podcast. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to do that. <laughs> the other thing that's near and dear to my heart is actually brewing. Uh, I started amateur brewing probably about five years ago now. And um, I, I think it's a great analogy because brewing in and of itself is extremely precise and you have to control the right things, but also inevitably you completely lose control of something during the brewing process. Something is going to go wrong. So it's all about figuring out your process and figuring out how to do it, but then being able to flex and, and be nimble. <laughs> That's a great, great analogy for, for what you have to do as a leader, especially in 2020. Absolutely. So yeah, so leadership, just like like brewing beer, there's there's parts of it that are very scientific, but there's also parts of it that are bit art to it. Um, you know, you can have the same set of of ingredients, or you can add things to it to to create something very different, but the process is still very much the same. So you have this ability to follow a a process and at the same time put your own spin on how you want it to come out, which is, you know, what great leaders do, you know, they follow a process, but they also put their own spin on it to, you know, make it their own. I love it. You know, I'm just sitting here. So if there's any Zermologists out there, um, which is the science of beer, they'll know that the German purity law, Reinheitsgebot, is that there's only four ingredients that go into beer, which is water, yeast, hops, and, uh, and barley. Uh, of course, there's, you know, beer is a lot more varied than that now, but that's the original purity law. But there's a whole lot more than one type of beer, right? I mean, the outcome of of um, of brewing is so so drastically different depending upon how you build the the beer and how you produce it. So, yeah, Molly, and I could probably talk about this for another you know two <laughs> or three hours right now. I'm just like totally nerding out. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Like people are like, "Oh, this is such a great. Like, why has anybody else thought about this?" I'm like. I have no idea. I just capitalized on on something that we were doing at at, at my previous company, where we would um, do do happy hours with our clients. Um, we called it benefits and brews, and it was just, hey, let's get together, let's talk about 
you know, what's going on in, in your organization. Let's talk about what's going on in your life as a leader and, you know, and let's do it in a fun environment. Come join us for a drink. I love it. So really hard hitting question. So you have your pilot's license? I do. So, so yeah, my, my dream growing up was to be a fighter pilot. Um, I wanted to be my dream job to this day still is I want to be the commander and leader of the air force Thunderbirds. Is that going to happen? No, but that was my dream growing up. Um, and, uh, so I, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I was fascinated with, uh, aviation and would go to air shows all the time with my parents and, and still to this day, like I take my, take my son to different air shows around the country and, um, have been involved with working air shows and, um, but I was like, I want to, I want to fly. And so, um, I, I got my first degree, uh, as a professional pilot where, um, I got my commercial pilot's license, um, getting ready to go fly for the airlines. Uh, when I graduated with that degree and through that program though, Congress had just changed the law, um, res- uh, with, for minimum flight hours for the airlines, um, uh, which it, it's now 1500 hours minimum flight time to even be accepted by an airline to fly. At the time I graduated, I had, you know, 450 hours. So it was a, a little ways off. Were you a Maverick fan or were you more like Ice Iceman? Maverick is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maverick is still still my my favorite. Um, and uh, if, you, you have not hit far. In fact, um, in another room in my house, it is the Top Gun room. Um, I do have, like, the movie poster. I have the logo. I was very disappointed the fact that that Top Gun Two has been pushed back all the way till next summer. Yeah, I mean, I'm. It's like I was already ready for it. Like my my best friend um, and, and roommate in college, um, because he was in the in the program with me. We when the 25th anniversary of Top Gun was re released in IMAX 3D. We drove to the theater in our flight suits to watch the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Now we're getting we're going deep here. I'm liking yeah. it. This is a good. This is good. <laughs> you know, one of my one of my vices, or you know, depending on your point of view, things that's endearing about me is that I love 80s action movies. So good. and and yeah. So I saw on I think it was on Hulu the other day. I just the kids are in bed. It's like nine thirty. I stayed up and watched all of Top Gun just by myself, um, and yeah. it was beautiful. I love it. Such <laughs> such a great movie. And um, I had an opportunity to go go out to San Diego um, a couple years ago. Uh, my cousin was getting married, and in, in preparation, because I knew a lot of the movie was filmed uh, in in and around the San Diego area. So I was like, all right, I'm going to check out all the, the Top Gun sites. And the one place that was like on the top of my list, because it was going to be just, just down the street from where we we're staying, is a restaurant called Kansas City Barbecue. And Kansas City Barbecue is where they filmed the scene in the bar where they play the piano and it's the, the very end of the movie. And so I, I would get so excited. And uh, and this is what I was working at at the museum. One of my volunteers um, who went by the nickname Goose walks in my office and goes, "Hey, did you hear the Top Gun bar burned down today?" What? Uh, yeah, I was like, I like pulled up, you know, Google and like it had caught fire. the The kitchen caught fire, and uh, so the restaurant was was shut down. So I did not get my opportunity to go and oh, uh, and do that. And and I was, you know, I was kind of bummed because I was getting, I was going to go to the the Sherm conference this year, being it was going to be in San Diego, and yep. and uh, and so that was on my my list of okay, I'm going to Kansas City Barbecue this time. We're, I'm going to, I don't care what they have on the menu, but I'm going to at least drink and take my picture in front of the jukebox and the piano, and it still has not happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I you know I really did not mean to bring up. <laughs> raw, raw wounds here, Kevin. I apologize. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I think about that movie, um, I don't know that I would consider Maverick a great leader. He had good results. <laughs> um, so I, I'm curious to understand a little bit about your your theory of leadership. I think in the world of HR leadership is just it's it's almost like a word that can become relatively meaningless or become a buzzword and my 
my opinion is that people who th- claim to know good leadership are usually using the halo effect to think about people that are like them um, and, and not necessarily reflective on the, you know, what, what, a, what leadership skills may be effective in different scenarios or, you know, kind of the diversity of leadership. So why don't you just kind of give me a perspective on how you approach the question of what is good leadership and what really makes a leader? So I always start with, you know, what is the, the true and pure definition of a leader? And it's just somebody who has followers um, and, and kind of start from there. And so as a leader, and if you think you're a leader, number one, do I have followers? Um, and not necessarily do I have social media followers because that's that's a totally different um, right. thing because I mean you can you can I mean you go on social media with social media influencers and you know millions of people follow these but are they true leaders maybe maybe not um, so so in your organization as as a leader do, is is there people are there people who are going to follow you as a leader and if you do well why are they following you is it because you're their supervisor, so they kind of have to, or do they feel inspired by you to want to work there? And for a lot of organizations, it's the former versus the latter with their leaders. They promote people who, they mean really good at their job. They're super producers thinking, well, you know, this person, you know, excelled at, at their quotas or they did really good job, you know, doing these projects. So, we should promote them into a role uh, that's you know has people under them to lead them to do those same things, and they do so, and all of a sudden there's a lot of issues, and organizations are like, well, you know, we'll put money into management training, but management training is not management development. Same with leadership training is not leadership development. There's a lot of things that leaders can uh, already have as you know built-in traits. Um, I, I would say there's no such thing as a born leader, but there are born traits of leaders. Mm-hmm. And and if you have someone who at the end of the day is invested in people, that's the number one responsibility of a leader is, are you invested in your people? Are you invested in developing your people? Some of the best leaders surround themselves with people who are smarter than them, better than them, um, you know, come across in so many different ways, but the one thing that they do well is bringing people together and investing in people to say, we're going to work towards a common goal and go accomplish it. And so when I come to an organization to talk about who their leaders are, I want to know what their goals are and I want to know what their people's goals are. As a leader, you should know like the people who follow you. If you manage a team of people, you should know at least one thing about each individual person about something that they want to accomplish, both inside the organization and outside the organization. Because the more invested you are into the to your people, the more willing they are to follow you to wherever it is you're taking them. We'll be back after a quick break. And so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I, I myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, Hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in Mm -hmm. the next day, but that's just not how these things work, right? Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know, the amount of dedication that it took over that time. I love the comment that training does not equal development. Cause a lot of times I feel like we just, we lump those two things together, but you know, my experience is most of the development actually comes on the job. Right. Like you can go, you could uh, send a lot, you know, have a, a training program for, you know, managers and say, hey, we're going to train you to be a good manager, good leader. And you learn a lot of things about here's what it takes to manage people. But it's it's more theory than it is practical. And you don't get the practical aspect of it until you are actually doing it on a day-to-day basis. And the great thing about 
the practicality of, of leadership is you can fail as long as you own up to your failures. Right. But if you don't own up to it. If you don't own up to it, then you're just going to create a little bit of resentment. You're going to create um, distrust. Uh, as a leader, you need to have the ability to be authentic to your team. Uh, it's okay to be vulnerable. You don't have to be perfect. Um, there's no such thing as a perfect leader. And if you think you know a perfect leader, trust me, there are plenty of flaws that that person has because people are messy and we mess up. And it's okay to mess up. It's okay to say, you know what, I I was wrong here. Help me, you know, be better at these things. Uh, I remember working um, for my very first my favorite boss and he would whenever something would go wrong instead of deflecting blame to the team he would be the one that said hey this is on me because i didn't prepare the team or this is the situation um and so he allowed the the blame to fall on him but if we succeeded it was a team effort right and it's one of those things that is like this very different. You don't, I, I haven't seen that style of, of leadership. I had just kind of been like, either you, you succeed or you fail and that's it. And it's all on you. It reminds me of the first, you know, true quote leadership role that I had, um, you know, 20 something year old, truly kid, uh, you know, just graduating out of college. And I was just fortunate that the people that I was leading let me learn as I was, as I was, um, you know, working into the role. And I had some really great mentors, but they weren't, they weren't my leaders. They were actually my, you know, what you would consider a subordinate. Um, but they took care of me. You know, they were just, they were just wonderful people. And I made a lot of mistakes. And they called me on it, and knocked my ego down quite a bit which was good that's what i needed and but ultimately that made me a better leader long term and you know i i look back on my career and the it's it's been kind of an interesting career path but uh you know i i attribute a lot of my leadership skills to those uh wonderful employees that that i that worked quote for me uh and, and i think that the thing that i took away from that is that a leader can't do anything without a, a good team underneath them. And quite frankly, leaders probably not doing as much. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's more about making sure people are going the right direction, but you're not the one getting it done. And I think that's where a lot of people, a lot of people can falter. Yes. So, I mean, I think anybody could, could list like examples of bad leaders, but great leaders, um, you know, they kind of move out of the way. They give their team space to operate um, and help sure that and, and make sure everybody's moving in the same direction. One of the things that uh, I ask organizations is how often do you as leaders or managers um, check in with your team um, on a on a one on one basis? Um, and if they say, well, you know, we maybe check in once a month, uh, once a quarter. Uh, well, we only do that at our, our annual reviews. Uh, I know right there that there's a lot of issues um, mm -hmm. because communication is key to, to leading well. But if you allow so much time in between conversations to develop, your team may think that they're moving in the right direction or the direction that you want them to move into and come to find out that they're not. They're they're going in a direction that, while they think is is the right direction, is not the direction you need them to go in. And when you have that conversation, you've allowed so much time to develop that people get frustrated. Like, well, why didn't you say something sooner? Um, so, if as a leader, if you're not at least having a one-on-one -on -one conversation on a weekly basis with your team, and it doesn't have to be anything big, it can just be three questions: What are you working on this week? How can I support you? And is there anything else that um, I need to know about? Just those three questions. Doesn't have to be anything big, but at least have that conversation one-on-one -on -one with each person on our team. Because you may find out, well, while they think they're going in this in this direction um, to accomplish a project or a task, you may need them to shift priorities 
to accomplish something else this week versus that one because that's more the priority for you to finish. Um, so your ability to lead really relies uh, and, and impacts how often and how effective those conversations can be. It's so important to understand that you know, a performance review, an annual performance review is not enough feedback to consider yourself a great leader. <laughs> no, it's it's not. And in fact, um, so so I've talked a lot about reengineering um, perf- yeah, performance management uh, and, and getting back to a more constructive feedback culture with organizations. So uh, the Gallup organization um, did some research that showed that 74% of organizations do a uh, annual review at minimum of one year or greater. And because that, that there's that big of a gap, the engagement level for employees is significantly low. They said in that study that only 14% of uh, employees said they were sh- um, highly engaged in their work. Hmm. And, but they also showed the correlation. The more often you have a culture of feedback. So the more often you meet, whether it's weekly, monthly, the more engaged an employee feels goes up. So it's important as a, as a leader, as a manager to, to have those conversations. It doesn't have to be a, a true performance review. It just, you just need to know what they're, what's going on in their lives. Um, and, and, and have an interest in your, in your team's lives beyond just what they're doing for you. One of my favorite stories um, comes from uh, my friend Patrick, who was my 50th uh, episode guest. He's currently the mayor of, of Midland, Texas, but before he ran for mayor, he was um, the executive pastor for one of the largest churches in West Texas. And he would always ask his employees, like, what do you want to do? Like, what, what, what are some goals that you've, you want to set for yourself outside the organization? And he tells the story of Jeff, um, who was the youth pastor at the time. And Jeff had this dream of being a competition barbecue pit master, which in Texas, like, that's almost a religion on its own. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, and that's a goal. That's lofty. (laughs) It was a lofty goal. So Jeff would like save money and go out and buy briskets because brisket is is kind of the king of meats in, in Texas barbecue. And and so he would try different rubs, different, you know, use different um, wood to smoke and, and test out different things and you know, bring those up to the, the, the office and share and, and get feedback from people. But Patrick saw that there was going to be a, a barbecue competition out here and went to his senior, t- his senior staff and said, hey, there's this competition coming up. Uh, we're going to enter Jeff into this um, because he needs to know where he stands on this. Plus, um, he, it wasn't that he was a great you know, at what he did, it was just that they're like, he's not going to stop bringing this stuff up here until we <laughs> start doing this. And, and they were kind of getting tired of the office smelling like barbecue. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Like, it's like, I guess, I mean, you don't want a church smelling like barbecue, but it's also a great way to bring people in. Um, so they, they collected between um, their, the, t- the senior staff, $700, and went to Jeff and said, hey, there's a competition coming up in two weeks. We want you to, to enter it and compete. Here's the money. Here's the form. All you got to do is go you know, pay it and go get what you need, and we want to see you do this. And he said Jeff was just so shocked um, that you know his bosses would take the time to see in him something beyond what his job was. Um and uh, that his whole attitude, and Jeff's already, a, I mean, was super great guy, but his just it intensified his his performance. It intensified the attitude that he brought um, to the team. And so Jeff went and competed. He came in last place because I mean, he'd never done it before, so it wasn't going to be like. I mean, and he, it's Texas. It's Texas. Like it's not like you know, if if he had won the thing, it, it should be a movie by now. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but he did. But but he said. But it was just that that simple, you know, understanding and asking questions. Who who are you? Like who do you want to be beyond just your title? What's your job is? 
What what are the things that you know you're interested in? You know what 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 about your family and and you know asking those questions. Um, it's it's important. And so as as a leader, if if you don't have just that personal investment in your team, it's going to be really hard for them to see. Um, in you that you have their best interest in, in mind. And I think, you know, I, I think the other thing intertwined in that story is, you, you know, people on a more personal level, it's, it's not as transactional as here do X so that we can get, achieve Y. Thank you. Here's your paycheck. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if that's all it was and that's, and it, <laughs> so I was, um, talking with a friend of mine, um, we were talking about the, t- the word human resources. Uh, and it's no, like, we can go on this topic for a while. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> um, and he, he's a, the chief people officer at, at one of the largest tax um, consulting firms in the country. And he said, when I came on board, um, the first thing I told our boss is we're getting rid of the HR department and we're, we're changing it to the people and culture department. We're about people um, and seeing people as people, not just a tool. And I think for a lot of leaders, um, they just look at their people as, well, they're just a tool to accomplish a job. And for, for my friend, you know, he comes on board and in the five years that he's been there, they've been four years in a row named, you know, one of the best places to work in, in Dallas. Yeah, but I think it's, you know, there's there's been a lot of debate about, you know, people, operations, um, you know, talent, um, managers, you know, these these kinds of um, you know, differences within human resources. I tell people, you know, the truth about the phrase HR or the job title HR is whether you like it or not, it's got a bad rap. I mean, I'll never forget. I got a job in human resources and I told my, my mother who was in higher ed and, um, you know, I was, I was telling her that I got this job and I was excited and I was like, I think it's going to be a good fit for me. And she said, Oh, human resources, taking the H out of HR. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's my mother, my sweet, my sweet, um, you know, innocent mother. But I mean, that is in a lot of organizations, that's the brand of HR. And, you know, if, if that's your goal, um, in HR to try to systematize everything and, and treat people as, uh, as tools and not, you know, they're, you know, the unique, individuals that they are you're gonna you're gonna struggle and people aren't gonna like you i mean i guess that's kind of the other thing well, yeah like a lot of people hate hr well they, they view hr kind of like you know it's the hall monitor in school you <laughs> that's know? a good analogy yeah you know it's your your hr is there um to serve the organization not the people and and there's been a lot of that conversation i've, I've witnessed over the course of the summer with you know, all of the, the racial issues and mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. through, you know, through things. And I know um, several people on LinkedIn who like, they said, we're canceling our SHRM membership because it feels like SHRM is not representing the people. It's representing the organizations uh, because it was, they were slow to talk about um, these issues yeah, um, and, and call them out for what it is. And I think for a lot of organizations, a lot of business owners, uh, business leaders, when they look at HR, it's still viewed as, well, you're you're the the payroll benefits and and compliance. Um, you know, you're here to hire and fire people, and uh, HR professionals, HR leaders need to take back um, their role as you are probably the most strategic partner to this to the C-suite than anybody else. You can't if you're the CEO of an organization, you cannot accomplish the goals that you have without people. And, and so as an HR professional, uh, as an HR leader, um, learning to be that um, advocate for people and saying, hey, you need to do these things in order to get where you're going. Well, it's going to require some people. So let's make sure we're working with the right people. And, and as HR professionals, we also need to learn how to understand the rest of the business. Because, I mean, think about the, the number of times that you've been handed a um, job posting, you know, from a, a department and say, these are the, the requirements that we we want in an individual. Well, you can go out and find somebody who fits those exact 
requirements and hire them. But are they going to really be the right fit for the team? Are they going to meld mesh well with the environment? You know, it's right. it's one it's one thing to to bring someone in from you know who has a little bit out of an outside uh, mindset, which is great for organizations because it, it it pushes people, it, it it inspires innovation. But if they can't get along with you know leaders, or that leader can't get along with the person that they bring in, it's not going to work. And it, and even if you hire the you know the per, the perfect person with all those different things that you know you put on a on a, the the requirements. At the end of the day, you still got to work well with them, and if you can't work well with them, what's the point? Right, exactly. And that you know, I think that's part of the struggle. I think a lot of people view HR as is a very transferable job, which it it can be. You know, there's a lot of transferable skills. Don't necessarily need to be a you know a product expert within your industry in order to understand how HR should work. But if you don't take the time to understand your internal customer, you know, your business uh, leader and the product that your organization produces and truly understand how you impact the bottom line. I I just don't feel like you're going to be effective. No, you're not. I mean, that's why I think, you know, looking back on um, in in the changes within HR um, development in the last 20 years, you know, you see the rise in the HR business partner role. Um, is someone who, who can say, you know, I understand a little bit more of the business, so let me help this part of the business develop the people side. Um, and I think organizations should should look at that model a little bit more than just your traditional HR role, uh, because you guys, you know, it changes things. And, and what's interesting um, when it comes to you know developing higher up in the organization, if whether you're a chief human resource officer or a chief people officer majority of the people in those roles did not start out in HR. They started out in sales or marketing or finance and learned the people business along the way and found that they were really good at the people side, but because they have that business background, they understand how to be strategic. Right. And I think, you know, one of my arguments for anybody that thinks that HR is the right move for them is I always ask, have you ever been a leader before? You know, because you're going to be advising leaders. And if you're just sitting here and saying, well, this is how you should handle the situation, but you've never been in that seat, uh, it you don't have any street cred, right? right. <laughs> I mean, you kind of have to pay your dues a little bit before you can start to advise a 20-year plus leader on how to handle an employee situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, there's baptism by fire um, in HR is not usually the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's how I learned. So, you know, hey, it, it, you know, sometimes it, you just get thrown in and try not to get burnt too bad. And I mean, yeah, it, it works well. In fact, that's kind of how my my very first job at the museum started was um, I got hired into it because I had, I had volunteered in high school and I said, hey, we've got this. um summer program that starts tomorrow we need someone to teach um desert survival skills and since you have the background and you're a boy you know as an eagle scout you should come and teach this i'm like do what all right <laughs> like i was making up the class as we went like like here's the materials that you're going to use but I'm like oh okay great that's great <laughs> so you're so you're maverick and your bear grills I, I didn't know oh, oh. that's awesome <laughs> you know, it, it's better to be a little bit of a generalist than a specialist sometimes. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, I mean, but honestly, isn't that kind of, that's a great example of what being a leader is like sometimes. You know, there's a lot of times you're flying by the, totally flying by the seat of your pants. You have no idea, you know, what the right decision is, but sometimes you just have to make a decision and then rally people around it. So uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Like uh, great leaders, um, one, are very good with people. Two, they understand their purpose. And three, they don't hesitate. Um, they make decisions. Um, and even if it's the wrong decision, they're going to they're gonna make that decision. And if they need to change it, they'll adapt. Um, I was talking with someone the other day. It said, you know, there's been a big push um, – 
over the last couple of years about the importance of emotional intelligence, your EQ, or even your relational intelligence, your RQ. But I, I really think as a leader, it's your adaptability intelligence, your AQ. Um, great leaders learn to adapt and, and change. Uh, I remember a friend of mine who uh, we we got introduced to each other uh, about 10 years ago, and, and I had um, was serving on a, a youth camp board, and he was the head of um, all of the counselors. And he was meeting with, with everybody and said, I need you to be fluid because if you're flexible, you're still too rigid. And so I've always – thought about that statement since we since I heard him say like I need you to be fluid I need you to be ready to move and he said now when you think about fluidity you can be fluid like water and you can go anywhere but sometimes that can be dangerous you know following that path so sometimes you need to have a little bit of viscosity to your fluidity um, in that that in, in as it relates to leadership being able to be adaptable and change but also having a, that those traits, you know, that make a great leader, whether it's empathy, whether it's honesty or, you know, great communication skills, uh, trust, all of those different things kind of build up. So if you do need to move, you're not going to flow through it real fast, but, you know, change can happen, you know, as necessary and as needed. Yeah, I think what a great, what a great example of how important the AQ is uh, just take a look at 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and honestly, I mean, it's, I feel like, uh, let's see this, we're recording this in mid October. This is probably going to go live sometime in early November. I mean, at that point, who knows where we'll be, maybe probably another lockdown, you know, the way the trajectory of this thing's going and, and, you know, the organizations that have succeeded are the ones that w were nimble and fluid and, you know, adapted quickly, changed the way they worked, communicated well, and the ones that didn't struggled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching organizations say, hey, you know what, we're going to move to remote workforces, even before things were starting to shut down. So, you know what, we're going to move to remote workforces, and we're going to start doing remote teams, and here's how we're going to adapt and, and survive. And, and I, the, the best organizations um, in that environment – you know, communication was a huge piece of that. They checked in with their teams. They gave them that flexibility and freedom to do what they're supposed to do. Um, but also, you know, if you're working from home, I can still be just as productive as if I was working from the office. So, you know what, I may need to take a, you know, a break and, you know, walk the dog around the neighborhood for a little bit to come back and, and clear my mind and get back to, to being productive again. And organizations saw that there was a rise in productivity when they were able to have good investment into their people and good and their people felt like there was good information and feedback and they were in the loop of what was going on organizations that didn't have that they struggled and they still struggle yeah yeah i mean my you know uh, something i like to share with people my organizations were international a, a large part of my job before the pandemic was traveling you know, upwards of 40, 50% of the time I was on the road and, and I love to travel. It was, it was great, but, um, you know, you can only do so much when you have 27 different locations to travel to. You're, you're going to be disconnected from some of your locations with a strategy like that. Now, I mean, we, we started doing video conferencing. Uh, we have a great IT department that made sure that we had the appropriate tools in place started doing a lot more collaboration outside of email, uh, did some, some, you know, some of the like text software and, and that sort of thing. And, um, I mean, everybody just started to connect more, even though we were going through this extremely disruptive period. And it was, it was almost kind of like a silver lining for us in my organization to realize, Oh, we can do things a little bit differently and we can actually be a little bit more nimble because we can, we can communicate better. Now, have you noticed in doing so that your engagement has gone up? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I'll tell you in a, in about a week because we're going to wrap our employee survey. <laughs> we're doing a, <laughs> uh, an employee opinion survey. So I'll let you know, uh, take a rain check on that. I, I would tell you, though, that the um, 
I don't know if I would call it engagement. I would call it connectedness has increased. Gotcha. Uh, the people who are uh, comfortable reaching out to me or shooting me a note or, or questioning a, a process of it's it's increased exponentially. Whereas before, I think it was you know maybe a little bit of a hesitancy to actively outreach and ask questions and things like that. So, you know, I think we're getting better at communicating. Um, in in general, I think probably the probably my favorite thing is the fact that uh, there's there's less silos. Yeah. You know, there there are people who are more apt to pick up the phone and call somebody in a different country or a different business unit to ask for help and advice uh, because they don't have the water cooler to go, you know, have an accidental discussion to help them solve their problem. So it's, it's been interesting, but on the, you know, on the flip side, I think there's also, there is a higher burden on a leader to make sure that the people who aren't connected get, get kind of forced to a little bit too. Right. It's like that connection, yep. the, the, the touch base for the people that might be struggling. It's not as apparent who is struggling. And our work is our work is professional, scientific and, you know, design work and uh, very, very technical in nature. So we don't necessarily have like really clear productivity measurements to look at to understand if somebody's struggling in their work. Um, so it's it's been interesting. So. If you're asking me, you know, future state, what what's going to happen after this is all done? I think we'll probably have, we'll probably have a hybrid work situation where there'd be a little bit more flexibility, but we still have some of the office people working. Yeah, I think you're probably not going to be alone in that, and I think a lot of organizations have said, you know, if we can operate this way and still uh, be productive and be engaged, uh, have open communication, silos are broken down. Um, I think you'll see you'll see a lot more. Um, move in that direction. Great, great topic here, Kevin. I want to make sure that we uh, we get through our, our flash round here. So this is a, a series of really hard hitting questions. You know, I'll try to take it easy on you, but um, you know, we're going to jump right in. So brace yourself. Gotcha. All right, flash round. Question number one: What are you reading right now? So I just finished The Heart of Leadership. Um, and which is a phenomenal book. Um, but I am reading The Purpose Factor uh, by Brian and Gabrielle Boche. Uh, there are some friends of mine that uh, I've been working with uh, for the last couple of months. Um, their program, uh, The Purpose Mastery, um, is a real intensive uh, program to help uh, organizations or leaders um, kind of really refine what their purpose is, what's their story, and, and how to really use that to influence people. Um, and so they've, they've written a book about it called The Purpose Factor. So I'm reading through it. It's a phenomenal book. They've gotten some amazing endorsements from people like The Rock, <laughs> uh, Tim Tebow, um, Brian Tracy, Lewis Howes, Simone Biles, um, Coach Tony Dungy. So I'm super, super proud of the work that they've done, but it's a phenomenal book. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, if if The Rock likes it, then uh, you know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I to date, I still have not had a Rock comment or thumbs up yet. So you know, I can't say that that's on my that's on my list of accomplishments yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. Yeah. If you ever get to get a burning passion for human resources best practices, uh, you know, we'd be happy to have him on the show. So. Dwayne, if you're listening right now, you know, you know, check it out. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Who should we be listening to? Well, I, I would say the Leaders of Loggers podcast is a great uh, resource for, for learning about leadership. But uh, um, but that might be a little self-serving. Um, hey, man, plug it. Plug it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to – uh, but actually, one of my one of my favorites to listen to is called uh, Breakfast with Sis, uh, uh, which is Tony Bridwell and his daughter Allie Koch. Um, Tony is the chief people officer at Ryan, and his daughter Allie is a um, muralist and artist. And so they actually bring in different people um, in their in their respective worlds um, to talk about business and culture. Um, 
and uh, it's just it's just a really great show. Tony himself is a is an author um, of several different books on leadership. His his most recent is called Saturday Morning Tea: The Power of Story to Change Everything. Um, and and their conversations on their podcasts are absolutely great to listen to. I love it. You know, and I think just a just a pitch. I know people that are listening to this obviously listen to podcasts, but you know, I really wasn't a podcast listener until just this year. And honestly, it was because, you know, I didn't have time <laughs> or I didn't make time rather. Uh, but, you know, quarantine happened and I started to listen and learn and connect. And there's so much out there. Um, and I think especially in the world of HR and the world of leadership, it, at times it can be really isolating. And you, you just have to connect with somebody that's having similar challenges at times. And um, so yeah, great call out on the podcast. I do recommend the leaders and loggers podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll give you the plug there. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's how we got connected and yep. really appreciate you sharing, sharing, um, your insight as well as your guest insight on your podcast every week. It's great. Great. I listening. appreciate that Kyle. All right. Final question. The toughest one. How can our listeners connect with you? Sure. So uh, LinkedIn is probably my go-to right now for for uh, social networks. So you can find me at Kevin C. Dawson um, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find the, the podcast um, on social media. You just search for Leaders and Loggers, L-A-G-E-R-S, not the log, um, you know, like the folks in the timber industry. I've had a lot of people say <laughs> Although. That would be an intriguing podcast. It, it would be, um, and and maybe I need to reach out to somebody in the in the timber industry to come on the show because that would be a, a great um, and humorous uh, plug there. Um, <laughs> I love but, it. But yeah, you can you can find me on social media. So I'm on um, on uh, on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at, at Kevin C Dawson. Instagram Kevin C Dawson. Um, you can follow the podcast on. Um, on social media, we're on you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, and if you're a, a beer drinker, you can even follow us on the Untapped app. Um, you can see what we're drinking and, and uh, drink along with us. All right, Kevin. Well, I really appreciate the time today. I know that you are a, a busy guy with a book, podcast, trying a lot of different beers. I'm sure you have to do a lot of quality control, so <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, great insights. I think you know one of the challenges of HR is is um, while you might not have direct reports, you're still a leader, um, and and you still have to you have to influence others in an appropriate manner. So uh, great great topics for our listeners, and really appreciate your expertise and and, and time on the uh, show. Well, Kyle, I really have appreciated it. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we have here. No animals will harm during the film of this podcast. Baby.